Well, the thing tells me uh, we're live now and broadcasting. So No Driving Gloves joins you for the first time in, is it two weeks or one week? I don't know how long we took off. It's been a month for me. Well, we're we're back, baby. We're used to that now. For those that normally watch five weeks. Uh, some of those that normally watch the video feed, we did release an audio only podcast on Monday uh, dealing with uh, shop labor rates and trying to justify or help. Again, I don't know if it's justify, help explain why dealerships and even some independent shops are $150, $170 an hour for labor and that they aren't actually making any, any money doing that. That's a, podcast kind of worth listening to um i throw that one out there we don't talk about what we got we're doing anymore so what do we want to talk about guys is there anything that's happening you know will just learned about the new ford electric crate motor but well we'll just learned about hourly shop rates too from listening to our last podcast so <laughs> well i threw out there that we could oh, probably is that how you do it hourly you just do about hourly <laughs> If you could actually bill by the hour, I'm sure there's a you don't bill for every hour. Oh no. I wish I could bill for every hour. Yeah. What are you what's your right now? Fifty, fifty dollars an hour, is it? Twenty twenty five? Where are you? Twenty two fifty. Nice. Yeah, twenty two fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, geez, I should have brought that uh part that I needed painted back up to you. And I ordered the paint. Order the paint oh. off eBay and uh, little rattle cans, but it's official automotive paint. Got it. Ended up lo- looking really nice. Yeah, I mean, he's got a picture of it right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kind of like that wrap. I can't name any one of those damn tracks, but I like that wrap. I mean, really, all you'd have to do is put like a, you know, they need to make a chalkboard wrap and you could put it on your car and then let the kids go to town with like marker and chalk. And they do I mean, make it probably come out wrap. about the same. They do make a chalkboard wrap and you can actually do that. And well, then you've got I'm, the guys that paint their cars or paint cars with Sharpies. And there used to be a guy that came to imports at Carlisle every year with a Volvo. 780 wagon 740 wagon something like that that was painted um chalkboard chalkboard green with chalkboard paint and he would just put chalk out and kids would come and people would draw on the car all weekend and i never went look closely because i'm sure there were some things drawn that were not necessarily family friendly well there you go what was the guy that uh, it looks no, like but- he's on free he's on fremont street where, you know, give him a tip and put him in any position, you know, you just paint your car with chalkboard paint and, you know, with, for a tip, you give them a, you know, a piece of chalk and for a minute they can draw whatever they want to draw. There you go. Hey. Business plan. Not bad. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> we give away all the good ideas on here. <laughs> that, that, would yeah. be, that would be a pain in the butt. And, uh, here you got five bucks and uh, i'm not getting paid to sit there and let somebody draw my car with chalk so why not get some like get some piece of crap that you don't care about like a mini truck or something and paint it and well call it, call just, it a good I, day I, I was thinking we had mini a, van. you got more real estate oh yeah 
Well, I just crossed my mind. Minivan. Our former guest, uh, Keith Chulik, came on and talked about wraps. The major portion of his business right now is he's wrapping cars in Atlanta with those advertising things. You know, a company will pay you 400 bucks, 500 bucks. I don't know. I've never asked him how much the people actually own the cars get paid to wrap your car with their advertisement. And he gets a fortune to put the wrap on and then take the wrap off. And he changes the wraps like every 30 days because the ads change. What if Will did that on his next, say, you know, his car is debuting at SEMA. Instead of painting it, you had somebody wrap it with an advertisement. Verizon <laughs> <Yeah>. Wireless. <laughs> well, number number one, number one, SEMA wouldn't let that happen. Um, I think, yeah, that's what you need to do, Lane. You just need to wrap wrap a car and give you gas money. Um, SEMA's pretty picky on um, advertisement for companies that don't vend at their event. They're 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 real stickler about that. But that would be kind of funny. And you'd think you you should get the cream of the crop. You should get big money for that. As much exposure as a, you know a car like that would get. Well, I'm even thinking if you showed up with it to debut it there and then SEMA didn't let you put it in, and then you could say the customer wanted it that way. This is the customer's vision and SEMA's not going on. And the amount of rogue press you could try to get out of it. You could probably win more by not being in the show. (laughs) I (laughs) I can promise you something. The shows that we go to, if you have a car that's completely wrapped, yeah, you're not going to win much. You might win some. Now there there has been some really really nice cars that's came out that's had you know like the roof had a wrap on it or certain little pieces have been wrapped and they've done really well. But you come out with a car that's wrapped, eh, I don't I don't think we're quite ready for that yet. That's as soon as uh that's how you debut your first electric build, all wrapped, all electric. You know, oh, I can total- see that actually. A little like electric, like you know, sparks and just pathways on the vinyl. Just <laughs> yeah, I bet you. Yeah. I you, bet you, you, you could. That's why you the- put cars back original, Derek. I bet you you could. Because I have too many good ideas. Of yeah, some, exactly. <laughs> some sort of inductive wire, and you could actually do what Derek's talking about. It'd be a cool thing to do to a resto mod. Well, aren't they making the wraps that you can put power to and and they'll actually change Man. color? I think y'all, they y'all, are. Y'all are, being, y'all are being rough on me. Is because I hadn't been here in five weeks? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we, we've to, been... trying to get me riled up, John? We've, we've been practicing. I've, I've, I've got some hostility built up that I need to, <laughs> I need to let out anyway, but I don't know if, I don't know if tonight's the night. Who are you? That's okay. You want to talk? We could talk about poor drivers that hit people's cars. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Yeah, yeah, you've had a rough day too. Yeah. I, 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 I was tell, telling Derek before you got on. I said, "Oh, that's just a Monday for me." I'll tell you about my last four four Mondays after the show, <laughs> and it's not me, fortunately. I just have to do all the work. Oh, so. Those are the exciting things happening. All of my press releases are electric garbage truck, garbage trucks, electric crate motors from Ford, 
I uh, can't remember what the other electric thing I was reading about today. So Will was right. We don't want to talk about electric cars today. Uh, recycled batteries from Tesla was another one. And, oh, that's one of the notes I didn't put up here, Derek, of pending guests that are coming uh, upcoming. Uh, you finally got your buddy Elon? Uh, not quite, but we're close. Wow. Dang. All right. Well, you know, you said something interesting. Did did you did you just mess up, or did you actually mean to say electric garbage trucks? No, I actually said electric garbage trucks. I thought we weren't going to talk yeah, about electric vehicles. That's, that's it. No, no, no. It's interesting because you think about it, and you know, some some garbage facilities have converted over to be able to use you know process and use the methane gases as a fuel in their fleet vehicles, in their, their garbage fleet vehicles. Uh, Battle Motors, CCC, and Velocity Truck Centers begin sales of Battle Electric Refuse Trucks. But it could August. be interesting because you could use the methane to actually generate electricity, which then they would have, they would generate their own electricity to charge the garbage trucks. Well, that's almost perpetual motion. Well, not really. It's just generating your own electricity. You know, I'm per- yeah, anyway. But it, it's an interesting theory because they would be able to use the methane, of course, burn the methane off to create a, a mini power plant, steam power power plant to steam generate electricity with a dynamo. Oh. I mean, it's why not just make steam powered garbage trucks? Let's talk well, about then you, now we could. That oh yeah, because you could take that new Ford crate electric motor and put it into one of those top fuel dragsters and make an electric dragster. Well, let let let's give Will a minute. Maybe he's actually going to have a productive conversation. I mean, there's a bunch of people watching us, and I'm going. Eh. <laughs> they're slowly dropping off. Listen, they're shoving this electric stuff down our throat, you know, and. I mean, I'm I'm just going to be honest here, guys. I, I I'm not a big fan of it. I don't want to talk about it a lot. I hear about it enough, and you know, maybe we need to start an electric car podcast and 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 talk about it because I mean, there's a lot of topics about it and a lot to talk about. But um, I don't want to talk about it every time I'm on a podcast. We just like giving you a hard time, Will. Come on. Okay. I can tell. Let, yeah, yeah. Okay, we got rid of Will. I can talk myself out of something real quick. Out of the whole deal. John has the John has the What well, you should have it, it would have been even better if you would have gotten up and walked away. So when he came back, you just weren't there. <laughs> Uh, that's why I was so quick because I, I could see Will doing that, and then we'd have to sit there and look at his uh, office. Um, <laughs> the rest yeah, of I'm, the in, show. I'm in the office at the shop. Yeah. yeah. So. So what is it with the uh, top fuel dragsters, Will? Oh, I was just you know we're talking about super efficient vehicles, and I just completely flipped it to the most inefficient vehicle on the planet. You know, so <laughs> that was the well, only reason. I don't I mean, think it's in a wait, 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 wait. But, but relate that to Lane's comment that he just made. I think, Will, I think you know Lane. Yep. 
but he's talking about the fact that, you know, E85 was supposed to be a big thing, fell off for everyday use, which it really has. We've gone back to the E10, E15s. You know, the flex fuel seems to have disappeared, the idea of the flex fuel engine. But as he says, you know, of course, ethanol produces the big power in racing. I mean, that's your your alcohol, top fuels, yep. ethanol, power, all that. So why don't we talk about that? Because it is it is interesting. Yeah, I wish I really wish E85 would have done more than than what it did. I like Jason's efficiency throwing up here. Um but you know, E85 is it, it it's not efficient to really run through your car. It does make more power and it does have less of less of a carbon, you know, imprint, um footprint, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I like E85, the little Datsun that we did with the 2JZ swap with the big turbo. It, it runs on E85, and it makes gobs and gobs of power, and it smells kind of funny when you're pulling up, you know? Um, so, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of alternative fuels. I'd rather see us spend more time moving towards alternative fuels than going electric. And, and electric cars have come a long way, but... They're never going to be what it's like to be behind a you know a Chevelle with a big block Chevy, or a or a supercharged or turbocharged two JZ on E eighty five. It's just not it's just not the same, and it never will be the same. And I don't like it. What what's the, go into that though? What's not the same for you? What what do you the what sound? do you mean by that? The sound, the smell. I mean, you get the torque, you know, you got the power. Um, but that, I mean, there's just something about driving a car. There, there should be, you should have that sound. You should have, you know, shifting gears and, you know, the smell of gas. I mean, that's just, that's just what it's supposed to be. And, and, and in my line of work, as long as they don't, you know, completely outlaw internal combustion engines, then, you know, I'll be fine. But, um, you know, it, I just, I, I, and I, you know, and I'm a fan of change. I like changes, but I, I just totally see this going down a path to where the government is going to try to rule it to where there's, they're they're trying to end the hot rod industry. They're trying to end the racing industry. They're they're everything that I enjoy. They're trying to make it extremely hard to do, and I'm not a fan. Oh, uh, and I'm I'll I'll agree with you on that. I mean, I'm not you know everybody knows I'm not the racing you know that big into racing things like that you know going out and doing it myself now the history of automobile racing i get into uh, but it's it's also hitting the the antique car industry or the antique car That's hobby funny. i should say industry slash hobby because there is an industry behind antique cars the restoration world parts world and you know it's it's making it difficult to own those and operate them and and do the things we want to do with them and as it gets more and more regulated if it gets more and more regulated it's it's going to do the same thing in that i mean really anything that is not a modern day car with all of the you know federal regulations met it's going to be harder and harder 
to get involved with that. Right. And, you know, one of the things that the hot rod industry has done and, and, and James Pryor's made a statement here about how does E8 affect E85 affect older vehicles. What's up, James? How's it going, buddy? Um, you know, you, you have to kind of make a vehicle run on E85. You, you can, you can take a fuel injected car and run it on E85. Um, but you know, you need bigger fuel line, bigger injectors for it to be efficient. Um, and, and talking about that in, in the hot rod industry, we follow late model trends. That's kind of our thing. Just about every car in the shop has got a fuel injected engine in it. And one of the boring. big reasons is, <laughs> well, it is boring, but mm. to run on today's fuel and today's oil and stuff like that, these people like driving their cars. They enjoy getting in them and going. So if if I stick a carburetor on a car, this customer generally will call me once or twice a year. Car's not running good. Okay, bring it in the shop. You know, let's clean the carburetor out, get all of the white crap out of it from where it's been running, you know, the modern fuels with all the alcohol in it. Or you can just make it fuel injected and you don't have to worry about it. It'll crank every time unless there's a wire come off or some goofy something mm -hmm. or another. And it, it's a lot easier to manage. And they've already forced that down our throats. You know, nothing sounds better than a FE big cubic inch stroked out FE Ford with a big carburetor sitting on top with a big ass cam and a bunch of compression. I mean... But they they sound different with with fuel injection. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some really badass sounding fuel injected cars out there, like the black and white '57 we just finished. But I mean, we've already done that, and it does make it easier on these shop owners. They they're not having to go and tune carburetors and 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 clean out fuel tanks and stuff like that. I mean, we can we can deliver a car. They can run. You know, 87 octane in it. If if you don't get crazy with with, with compression and stuff, and uh, so that is one of the things that has made our our job a little easier, especially on the back end of giving the car back to the customer. It can sit in their garage for six months with a battery tender on it, and when they go out there, it's going to fire up. It's not going to sit there and flood itself and act crazy. So that is one of the benefits to fuel injection, and and it makes them more efficient, less of a carbon footprint, whole nine yards. Yeah, and you're know, getting into the antique car world and classic car world where you're not uh, changing over to fuel injection stuff like that. You're trying to keep it original. One of the big things I always talk with people about that own early cars, and y'all get phone calls from people, is you know when we're when you've got a carburetor, like you said, Will, you're if you're going to own an old car, especially an antique car, classic car that's got a carburetor, you'd better be willing to work on the car, or have somebody work on it for you, because you're going to have to adjust it a couple times a year. Yeah, weather changes, things like that. You typically make little adjustments here and there, especially on the early cars. But then, I mean, there is a whole 
you have to have a whole understanding of the the fluids that need to be used in those cars right. and what they were back in the day versus what we have now because you know as you know will and, and john i mean i can't go put new synthetic oil in my 1919 chevy it's it, it doesn't have the the additives it doesn't have the zinc doesn't have the phosphate it doesn't have the things it needs to protect that early engine so you know i wind up almost all of my cars early cars have rotella in them which is diesel oil because it still has zinc and you know proper zinc levels phosphate levels and then when you get to the transmission on an early car you know the straight cut gears most of us that are in the antique car world are mixing our own gear oils to put into those transmissions to make them you know thick enough to make it able to be double clutched correctly. And even in my 1919 Chevy, I, I mixed up my own mixture based on what I've used in other cars at, at, you know, the Crawford and, you know, places like that. And even in some of my other early cars and drove it down the road and clearly it was a little too thick. So I took it out. I had to drain the whole transmission, which not a big transmission in a 1919 Chevy, let's be honest. And I thinned it down mixed it back up, put it back in, took it for a test drive. And that it, it takes time. You've got to be willing to work on these things. If you're going to keep them in the old setups with carburetors and, you know, not go through and rebuild them completely to modern specs to run modern fluids. So it's something you you have to keep in mind throughout the whole thing is you can't just run down and pick up a quart of 10 W 30 Valvoline off the shelf at AutoZone and just dump it in because you're going to wind up doing damage. Yep. And, That's and, my and rant. It's even, that, it's even that way, I mean, on a flat tap it cam in a small block Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't put a roller cam in it, good chance you're going to wear the cam out pretty quick, especially yeah. if you don't put the right stuff in it. You know, yeah. so... And, you know, and that's another thing that why we like late model engines in most of the cars that we build is they can stop at O'Reilly's AutoZone, Advance, Napa, whatever, and just grab a quart of oil off the shelf, change the oil, get a filter, um, and and be about their way. A lot less maintenance, hook a computer in it, and hook a computer up to it and change the tune or see what's wrong with it and fix it. Two of my customers are actually late model car mechanics. So they have, you know, they have all of the tools to fix their car at home. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am a fan of fuel injection. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. And, and I don't know of many people that are scared of it anymore. I mean, a lot of people are scared of, you know, buying a Holly HP or Dominator and a unterminated harness and building their own harness for, you know, something that's generally not fuel injected. It's a whole lot easier to just snap a, a sniper on it or something like that. But, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it was something that I was um, I was a little intimidated by until I went to Holly um, EFI train. And, you know, you get you get a lot of. Uh, lot of handouts and a lot of paperwork and 
the right phone numbers to the right people that you meet in class that's done it before. And, um, you know, a guy named Mike Bell that I met at, at Holly Dealer EFI training, we've become pretty good friends. And uh, we talk we talk a lot on on stuff that we're trying to push the envelope on a, on a dominator to get it to control, uh, you know, hands-free windshield wipers. You know, it senses the rain and wipers come on automatically like in a late model car. And, uh, and he, he's, he's messed with it a lot more than we have. So, I mean, so there's a lot more that you can do than just fuel inject your engine with, uh, with a dominator or an HP. Well, we're, I'm, somebody posted a picture on, sorry, Derek, one of my mini trucking pages. Oh uh, my God. Here <laughs> we 90, go with the mini trucks. Of a 94 Zuzu pickup that he bought, a 94 pup. Actually, if I would have known it, I, I might have bought it uh, cheap enough and cool enough. That was the last carbureted vehicle sold in the United States. So we're looking not even 27 years ago. That's that's an entire generation of people. I mean, whoever was born in, in say, 94, and you've got 27-year-old mechanics in the new car dealerships now, they've... You know, they've never even seen a carburetor, have no idea. I mean, I was the last, I was the last class in 96, I think it was, to rebuild a carburetor in modern automotive technology. The following year, car, the carburetor program was completely eliminated from it. So, yeah, I think fuel injection, like you've said, Will, it's, it's right there. There's, you know, just the people that, are build you know, building cars are coming into the industry just don't have a clue. It's kind of, you know, you're you're always going to have the advantage that you can build and take care of these cars with carburetors, just like Derek can build and take care of these cars with wooden frames and flame ignitions or whatever. Um, there's you're you're going to have a specialty market in twenty more years, and you can follow what you know, Kim Rich. Uh, posted here is that all uh, that he's they're afraid it's going to only take a long life battery and the in, internal combustion engines dead uh, that's really paraphrasing what he said or what was said i'm sorry kim i don't know if you are <laughs> but that's the the comment he put up and we're i, I don't disagree with it it and as we get generational changes we're it's, you know, hot rodding is founded in the, you know, really World War II and what was available and then in the 50s and it's not changed. It's a very resistant to change hobby. And I'm amazed to see it changing as rapidly as it is, even though it's not rapid. Okay, okay, wait, wait. I want to I wanna touch on something there because, and this is probably a large hypothetical, but I think it could be an interesting conversation. Of course, hot rodding based in the, as you say, John, based very much in the returning soldiers from World War II, coming back, putting together jalopies, if you will, whatever term you want to use for the hot rods that they were building. And they were basically going, you know, they had a very tight budget when they got back. Obviously, we didn't have a lot of vehicles because we just hadn't produced cars for 
a number of years during war production. And so they went to the junkyards and started pulling, you know, a, a cheap old Ford out of the junkyard, a Model A or something. They'd grab a an old, you know, 32, 33 flathead V8 and start building it the best they could. And obviously an industry built around that. But will a switch to the auto industry going to all electric in modern vehicles have an impact on the hot rod industry from the aspect that it will get more creative in guys returning to that idea of going to junkyards, finding internal combustion engines and parts that are in junkyards and starting to put together hot rods again, much like they did in the, the mid and you know, late 1940s and early 50s, rather than relying on the industry that's out there, which they'll still buy some parts. You always will. But might it make it creator? Ugh, might it make it more creative in the fact that they're going to go out and go back and find junkyard parts? No. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean. If Ooh, Ford, I, wait, you both, one said yes, one said no. I want to hear this. Uh, go, Will. Go. Ford, if Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler and all quit making internal combustion crate engines, then that's what you're going to have to do. And, I mean, I have no problem with that whatsoever. When I grew up, that's that's what we did. And Lane Kelton made a statement there where, uh, you know, we grew up. That's how we grew up. We grew up going and getting a junkyard engine and rebuilding it and putting it in our car. And then we'd call Lane's dad, Dr. K, to sell us a wiring harness to fuel inject it. And, you know, you couldn't buy. I, I don't I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you couldn't go buy a crate motor that had a tune port fuel injection on it back in the nineties. And, and that's what we did. I mean, that's how we did it. That was the economical way to do it. And if they quit making crate engines, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of the projects in the shop right now are all crate engines. So you're counting the crates in the corner of your office. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking through. Um, so, um, I mean, if if that's if that's what happens, of course, you got companies like Blueprint that you know their their business is based on internal combustion crate engines. So, you know, as long as guys like that keep uh, keep moving, because there's actually there's there's a couple of projects in there that have Blueprint crate engines, not from you know one of the big three. So. You know, as long as as long as Blueprint and some of those other guys keep keep doing it, um, they'll still be around. But, but they'll they'll either have to start casting their own blocks, which Blueprint already does that a good bit of it, casting their own heads and stuff like that. If not, they're going to be in the junkyard buying, you know, blocks and heads and stuff like that and rebuild them. All right, All right John. Why did you say no? Well, I said no, and it's here. I'm going to go to James Fryer's statement here. That was the parts store, the local junkyard. I just spent a day dealing with junkyards, 
and viewing inventory and that, the junkyards aren't going to stock this stuff. They're going to stock the stuff that moves. You'll be, it's, it's not, you're going to have to dig in, you know, the old farmer's backyard, etc. Hopefully the government hasn't come and, you know, crushed everything and gathered everything up. And the people that are living in the Midwest and rural areas are going to have the, the, you know, run of those parts cars and that, but it's not going to be as simple as going to a junkyard and digging through to find your donor motor in that, because by the time we've made this transition to electric, say by 2035 or something, a lot of those gasoline powered cars are going to be shuffled out of the junkyards and recycled at that point in time. And the only thing that's going to be left there are whatever's powering cars in 2035 or 2040 that the days of having the junkyard and you can go in and, you know, dig this stuff up. It's junkyards are corporate America now. And if America keeps going corporate America, no, this stuff isn't going to, it's going to be there. It's just not going to be easily found or readily available. Maybe since Will's throwing out ideas, maybe somebody ought to start figuring out how to internetize that at this point in time, it'll be a slow business right well, now, but maybe if, in 10 years. <laughs> if, if you want an original flathead engine, all right, that was the LS of, of, you know, the thirties and forties. Guess what? It's not that hard to find. You can still go find a flat. You're not going to find it in a junkyard. No, they're gone. They've been gone, but I guarantee I could probably pull up marketplace and find 10 or 15 flatheads that I could just go buy right now. So, you know, I don't think it, it may not be junkyard, you know, the exact junkyard right down the road from your house, but it'll be, you know, Facebook marketplace or, you know, buy sell bulletin or, or, or something like that where you, you'll have to find your junkyard parts. They're just, you know, What's cool in a junkyard right now? Okay, maybe a maybe an LS engine, maybe some brakes off of a Corvette, but nobody's going and getting a part off of a Kia Soul to put on their hot rod, you know, um, like they did back in the day. I so, walked through your shop one day and you were putting Ford Fusion parts on a hot rod. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> maybe you know what I, maybe I bet, maybe I bet, he, I bet nobody listening can figure out which one it was on either i'll bet he just said that nobody's putting kia soul parts on a hot rod because that's what he's doing for sema he doesn't want anybody else doing it don't be giving all my secrets away so Put look on at the John ticker down the there. Banner we ads. Up, yeah we brought up blueprint engines if you want to check out the show no driving gloves.com episode 138 it was not the Dart, Eric Cook. No, the Dart had a lot of Z Nissan parts on it. It wasn't no, Kia parts. No, no, it only had <laughs> it did have Nissan parts. But I'll tell you something: the Dart had nobody figured out. It did have Jeep Liberty air conditioned vents. I think you told me that. I can't remember <laughs> what car you told me you were putting the Fusion parts on. <laughs> oh, yeah. But and I bet hey, that. 
that that next pickup that comes out is going to have these integrated t- Kia Soul taillights around the. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. But hey, if if the part's cool, it doesn't matter what it comes. I I guarantee there's something on a Kia Soul that I could find that I like. Uh, I don't know if I would use it on one of our builds or not. If it fit the build, then yeah, maybe. But uh, uh, but yeah, the Dart had Nissan GTR door handles in in external and internal and and latches and all that stuff. It was, it was pretty cool how we done that. And it had uh, the um, the seal that went from the door glass to the quarter glass. It was actually on the quarter glass was off of a little Dodge Chrysler 200 hardtop convertible. Um, so that, you know, there, there are some late model car parts on just about every car we build, but um, I'm, I'm generally not going and getting them at the junkyard. I'm, I'm ordering them from local dealerships. Uh, I'm trying to find an answer here for Eric Cook. And let's see if this actually does it. She already said no. The dart did not. What? What? I'm oh, lost. I was wondering if he was saying what was the Dodge Dart. But for those no, that are no, viewing, no, he he was guessing he was, that the dart. He, was I, I understand what he was doing there. But for those that are watching that don't have an idea what the dart was, uh, um, I've popped up a picture of uh, Will's infamous dart that we do bring up on the show quite often. Yep, it's actually the only car he's ever built. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really hangs his hat on that one. <laughs> it does get brought up a lot. Well, so it, if it was kind of a groundbreaking world, car, and if it wasn't for some poop brown something, you might have <laughs> might be even better known. <laughs> oh. It when when the world runs out of Chevy V8 engines, <laughs> small block, big but whatever you're, you know, whichever one you're using. What what is the most unconventional engine you're going to go to hot rod? Oh man, <laughs> the most unconventional. I guess uh, we'll all go to. Um, Rotary engines or something. I don't, I don't know. Hey, rotaries can be pretty sweet. I mean, they're they they, they sound pretty wicked. <laughs> hey, me and Jason think a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm uh, thinking I need to see something with like a, a you know Geo Metro three cylinder. You know, something really, really, really top notch. Doesn't, doesn't Ford already have that in, in that one of their EcoBoost things? Well, the, EcoBoost, Pat, the EcoBoost. The EcoBoost. Patrick just Pat, said it because my, my Fusion was a 1.5 liter uh, EcoBoost three-cylinder. Yep, there you go. No, 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 no. You know what you need to do? You need to use one of the, um, was it Saturn, the, the lost styrofoam cast engines? That when you look at the block, it actually, you can see the styrofoam. Yeah, the 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 you actually see the styrofoam um, imprinted in it, and you you need to use that as part of the the showmanship of the engine that that styrofoam appearance. 
And I was thinking the metal work on the mm-hmm. car all of a sudden has the styrofoam appearance. There like you a go. dimpled <laughs> golf ball. Yeah. <laughs> tie it tie it all together. Just make it make it one big styrofoam car. Just like just the roof. So it'd be like a mod top Chrysler, but Ooh. <laughs> Uh, and for the people listening, um, Jason Hill threw out rotary was his suggestion for that motor. And he also threw out the Lamborghini Diablo and the Nissan 300 ZX share the same headlights. If there used to be a saying for the for, at Lotus or there used to be a thing at Lotus, when you were a new hire, you would be warned not to take the close parking spots because the parking spots closest to the building in the 70s were usually empty. Because Chapman had, when he was designing cars, he would wander out into the parking lot and remove parts from employee cars to come in and try to see how it worked in his design. You know, the the Fiat X19 and Lotus Esprit uh, share the same taillights and door handles and things like that. And who knows what else? There's so many Triumph parts and MG parts and that on some of the 60s and 70s Lotus it was just common knowledge. It didn't happen every day, but there was a good chance you could come out of me missing a door handle or, you know, missing a taillight or something out of your car because he'd take it, try it, and he wouldn't go put it back. But so I've, yeah, been, that guilty, part, part, I've been guilty of that. That part scavenging. Yeah, been guilty of that. <laughs> uh, stealing parts well, off the employees' cars. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Will the the modern day Chapman nice? <laughs> it hadn't happened very often, but I, I have went out and uh, took parts off people's car and <laughs> up and see what we thought about it. So somebody had a Volkswagen here one time, and I popped the I popped the cup holders out because I thought they were really cool. The way you press a little button and they come out and they kind of transform her into like cup holders, you know. So I figured out how to take the whole what? mechanism out. And <laughs> I'm trying to remember if it was the Saab or her, my ex-wife's Volkswagen EOS had the cup holder. You push the little button, it'd slide out, and then it would rotate over and then drop a little thing down yeah. to hold. I think I still got them right here. Now, now yeah, one of the actually walk one off of, the show. <laughs> one of the one of the aftermarket radio head units I put in one of my cars. If you push the right button, a little cup holder came out. Isn't that what that was? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times it would come out with a shiny round coaster for you too. Yes, 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 it did. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So. Except for the cup always fell off. There's no side support. Well, it, it's. It was a modern day take on opening the glove box, and you know they ha- always had those little indentations to put your can on. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm not referring to the old Cadillacs that had the magnetic shot glasses and the bar set that came in the glove box. But you know, you just- speaking of that, I came across an interesting advertisement the other day from like the 19, I think it was like the 20s, of a keg that would go under the dash of a 20s era car and had a tap that came out. Uh, Will's playing with his cup, fancy little cup holders. Obviously his hey, friend with the Volkswagen never came back. <laughs> no, I actually went and bought them because I thought I was going to use it 
And uh, this was actually going to go in the dark. And uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It actually looks like a CD drive. You could actually, you could actually hide that with a radio head unit and really confuse people. Yeah, I mean, how how awesome is that? That's cup holder. The the reason I couldn't put it in the dark is Willie had one cup that the the cup holders had to fit, and it wasn't it wasn't big enough. I mean, so anyway, scavenging parts is how you build hot rods. I think we found, right. a, we found a theme to the show. Finally, that's what hot rodding is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, Lane pointed it out, and I don't know of any other real junkyard that you can do that in. Um, you know, walking around, pull apart with a tape measure, you know, and looking and looking for stuff that may look cool. I even had the tr- trouble, well, when I was in high school and in my early 20s and the custom trucks and that I was building, the junkyards wouldn't let you wander around the junkyard looking for parts. Uh, just an insurance thing. You had to tell them exactly what you want. What, how the hell do I know what I want if I haven't seen it? You know, I used to do, uh, you know, would grab stuff or you find things that have fallen off cars off the side of the interstate, see how it would work. and. <laughs> Just you know, go to Walmart I, I, parking lot. I was cheesy enough. I had repurposed a set of Mustang Mustang two quarter window louvers into a kind of a hood hood vent hood scoop type Ooh, thing. Nice. <laughs> hey, I I was poor and three M double stick tape. It, it kind of was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> better, better. It's probably better than just running like you know machine screws just down through it and Nick. actually drywall. I would have just run drywall screws right through it. Just make it look like it was fastened on there. Then, yeah. then painted, painted the head of the screw, the color of the truck. You mean like they do Liberty walk body kits? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I can't remember. I saw somebody with their Liberty walk body hit on a Ferrari P8. Is that a P8? I can't remember. F8, whatever the newest Ferrari is. And it's got a Liberty Walk kit with the stupid bolt head caps. Things that drive John nuts. $20,000. I could have bought it out of J.C. Whitney and a Ranchero. (laughs) Sorry, Keith. I had to take a drink. Lane Lane wants you to uh, chrome the front of that bad boy and... and, Put it in with the so, uh, the Chrome dashboard line. So you see, you see the here profile here. The, the, the black is how it came from uh, Volkswagen. This is a piece I actually made that was actually the contour where this thing fit in the dash of the Dart at. So, and it's just it's just held on there with some button head screws. So you could you could just you know. Take that off and do whatever you want to do with it. 3D print you a new face piece so it fits something. Yep. Sell it to one of your customers for $1,800 or something. Ooh, Big yeah, Oak Garage Special Custom. Lane, Lane, if you need some uh, if you need some cup holders, you know where they're at. I'll give them to you. <laughs> They'll replace the ones he took out of your I Volkswagen. You, I tell you what, <laughs> bring, me a, bring me a jar of honey and uh, I'll trade you for uh, for the cup holders there. What is uh 
What is honey code word for here? I was going to say, nah, his wife his, obviously doesn't watch the, listen, watch or listen to the podcast. <laughs> his his dad, him and his dad do. Um, they've got a honey business. They got a bunch of honeybees and stuff. It's called beekeeping. Is that what you're yep. talking about? Done. Okay, yeah. I'll see you soon. Bring enough honey for everybody, because uh, my wife and I love local honey. So just get it to Will, and he'll get it to me. That's <laughs> not local to you. I'll actually be coming through Bowling uh, <sighs> Green, man, not this Monday, but next Monday. So I'm going to stop by and have lunch with you. Maybe, if I'm here. Why wouldn't you be? It's a Monday. Because you're always coming through the weekend of Old Car Festival. You just said you weren't going to Old Car Festival. I'm not sure yet. Oh. Don't talk to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you Lord. know, and it's funny. I from. Did you just lose John? Will I didn't lose John? John might have lost John. Okay, John lost John. Yeah, he went all robotic, and now he's just dead. Am I moving at all yet? No, he's back. Look at that. There you go. Oh, look well. That, look out! Be- look out! Mountain honeybees. Get on there and order what you need. All right. Thank you. Uh, I was just. Saying Will lives only an hour away from John, and uh, he, I never get to have lunch with Will. He never comes to Birmingham. He goes to go Bowling to Green more often than he does <laughs> Birmingham. I it's never go south. Bowling Green's cool. I we have a lot of car that. stuff. Oh, I keep hearing about it. This uh, listener, Jason, tells me about all the cool stuff going on in Bowling Green. And I do want to give a shout out to Jason. Totally unrelated subject. I had asked a question on Facebook this week about camping and how the heck a 50-year-old guy learns how to camp because I've camped once in my life, and I want to try it. And I figured out why I don't camp because out of the 18 or so responses I got on Facebook, everybody was telling me not to camp. But Jason actually was the only one who even gave me a place to camp at. So, unfortunately, I won't camp at Barbara Motorsports Park, but at least he gave me a location. I mean, some people said, oh, I'll lend you a tent. I'll do this for you. Okay, I have a tent. I didn't even know where to go with the tent. Now, at least I know I can go to Barbara Motorsports Park and (laughs) probably get shot or eaten. John, you are not a tent camper. I can go ahead and tell you. You just need to go ahead and buy a travel trailer Uh, or a motorhome, and that's how you camp. He's I was kind of guy. I was kind of thinking teardrop trailer, but maybe yeah, you know. Sweet. So. You're gonna want air condition. One. Oh, you can get air conditioned teardrop trailers. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what you're gonna have to have. I know you. <laughs> See, I'm a I'm a tent camping guy. Like that's uh, that's how I grew up. Tent camping. Oh, it, the weather's Luddington, just gotta be right. I'm not Luddington, going to tent camping in in a hundred and hundred degree weather. That's brutal. I've been tent. I, I was tent camping during a tornado. That was interesting. Uh, the tent collapsed on us. It was not, it was fun. Uh, Ludington State Park, Ludington, Michigan. Absolutely beautiful. Grew up every summer going there, tent camping. Fantastic place. Uh, I've gotten to the point and, and age in my life where I do have an air mattress now under the sleeping bag. Uh, used to be sleeping bag on the ground. But, um, yeah, I've moved up to the air mattress. <laughs> Somebody told me they've got a little foam thing. One of the guys from the cigar shop, like yep. an inch thick, and yep. that totally yep. revolutionized sleeping outdoors. It, and, may, it makes a difference. 
And he's just as bad as me about needing air conditioning and heat. No. It, I'd rather camp in the snow than camp in the heat. I could almost agree I with you. It all. Well, it, I guess it, maybe it, I'll talk to Derek off the air and maybe he can give me some camping tips. Other than watch YouTube, lay in the backyard on your back for until it hurts and you've experienced it. Put a tent up in the backyard, and when you've bitten bitten by mosquitoes enough, you, you've experienced camping. <laughs> Those are oh. actually great recommendations. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> they truly are. I actually forgot about that, but Lane Lane's right. We we were having a big camp out right here, close to where my shop is, and. There was a tornado come, and we all went and piled in my mom and dad's basement. And spread. <laughs> now oh, we can we uh, we can tie this right back to the automotive industry because, of course, early on in the twenties, uh, auto camping was a big thing. You could actually get kind of a, a big, heavy canvas tent that would, you know. And in the twenties, most cars all looked alike, a box on wheels, so pretty much a, a set pattern of, of a canvas and ropes and stakes would uh, get you set up with a tent that would actually come off the side of the car and you could open both doors on one side and kind of live, you know, in the car and in the tent. There were also uh, camp trailers back in the day, but interestingly, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, there have been, there were two Pontiacs that came out with, tent options from the factory. The 1974 Pontiac GTO, the one I owned did not have it. We attempted to track one down and couldn't find one. And then the Pontiac Aztec. So John, I think if you really want to experience camping, go out, find a used Pontiac Aztec with the camp, uh, with the tent option and go camping. That is right up John's alley. The first one of those I learned of, actually, the 85 and 86 caravans had a tent that attached to the side of them that was available through the the direct connection catalog. And I've got a friend, and she's actually the only one that actually gave me real, real camping advice offline. And she's an ex-girlfriend from 30 years ago, and she started out, laugh out loud, you camping, laugh out loud. So kind of Will's reaction there. But then, you know, she pointed out how often she camps and she's changing vehicles and getting to a minivan. And I suggested that kind of stuff. And she said, no, that was because there are a lot of companies making things that attach to all kinds of SUVs and hatchbacks and that to uh, attach the tents to. So we we actually built one on the TV show that I designed. It was a Ford truck that we put a big rack on the back and it's got a big tin on it. And I don't give too much away, but um, see, I, I, uh, somebody suggested to me that I could rent a teardrop and try it before I bought a teardrop. And I did check and there's one available in Birmingham. That's an off-road one. And it's got the lower area, I guess, for your gear. And then it's got a flat top thing that a tent erects on it. So you're way off the ground and the tent's up on top of it. So, and one of the reasons I think it's so cool is the trailer hitch that goes on a Mini Cooper S. It, it's a really slick installation. I would have never thought because the Mini Cooper S that I have has side or center exit exhaust. 
So I could not figure out how you do a trailer hitch on it, but sure enough, somebody figured out how to do a really slick looking trailer hitch on those. So. Oh, Holden's got it figured out. All you need is beer for camping. You just get drunk enough and fall asleep anywhere. Yeah, but what, that if you was what if you don't drink beer? Okay, well, you know, y'all two are a little more sophisticated than myself. Yeah. I know uh, John's the bourbon and 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 cigar kind of guy, and Derek's going to be the white wine. <laughs> yeah, Derek's now, white wine. White, yeah. ugh, white wine's All disgusting. Right. Red, uh, Scotch, red wine, and uh, a good white Russian. Uh, gin and tonic. I like gin and tonic. Oh, Lane, email me after the show or email no driving gloves at gmail.com and I will send you a link to answer your question. Um, I don't have it on this computer. I have it on my iPad, which is downstairs where the link to the to where, where you can rent a trailer. It's actually one of those um, online places that people rent their own personal trailers. And there were like three or four different teardrops available, but you can rent just about anything you want. And, and it was less than a hundred bucks a day for that the one with the tent. So, And stay but, yeah. tuned for our upcoming spinoff podcast, No Hiking Boots. <laughs> uh, let me see here. Let me pop that email up for Lane there just in case. Uh, do I have it? Well, it's on the website. I don't have a banner well, for the email. So if, if SEMA happens, which I hope it does, it sounds, it seems like it is. I know there's a lot of, folks backing out but they actually have uh what they call an overland camping experience it's becoming a huge thing and it's its own little thing there at SEMA. they got their own little area and a couple of years ago i think was the first year they had it and it was it was pretty awesome walking through it seeing all the creative ideas that all these companies have come up with of a way to you know take your off-road vehicle and adapt camping gear to it. it 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 was pretty impressive and and i'm sure that'll be a a big part of the new west hall this year at sema oh. right you keep talking a little bit about overland camping i haven't quite got the uh link to plug another show <laughs> well <laughs> i mean just google search overland camping holy cow it's it's huge and, you know, that was kind of what inspired me for that build that we did on the TV show was, was kind of an overland camping kind of thing. And you know, I think the build, it's, it's probably one of my favorite that we did on the entire TV show. So looking, yeah, back looking on, forward to that. Back on episode 160, we interviewed the guys from Storyteller Overland, which is a uh, Birmingham-based business that builds the conversions they take um, the medium length sprinter vans and build you one heck of a off-road type overland vehicle it's not the cheapest thing in the world but hey yeah. it's how you do it and i can plug an old episode so yeah. no driving gloves.com uh yeah. slash 160 you can hear brent lang from a storyteller overland talk about uh we used a uh Littner rack and a free spirit tent and when you pop the tent just kind of opens up you know like that and you crawl in and it's a real nice memory foam pad it was it was pretty pretty nice you could get up there and lay down and be very comfortable it's it's up in the air though i mean it was set on top of the rack 
and the rack was, you know, all the way to the roof of the vehicle. So when it was popped up, it was pretty tall, but it did look pretty awesome. Can't wait for everybody to see it. And somebody was talking to me about that the other day, and we'll talk about that later on. But hey, we've hit 60 minutes. I mean, and, um, and none of us are Barbara Walters. <laughs> uh, Hugh Downs. I'll be, I'll be Hugh Downs. I'm Hugh oh, Downs. Okay. <laughs> that would be the show that uh, used to have Geraldo Rivera on, which was the guy that uh, opened Al Capone's vault. <laughs> I think, wasn't Hugh Downs, Barbara Walters, Geraldo Rivera, like mid 80s on 60 Minutes? Geraldo. Well, do we have anything else? I, I, I derailed this to camping, but at least we tied it back to automotive, and there seemed to be some interest. I so would. Uh, I, I, I'd just like to thank everybody that commented and involved themselves in the show. We encourage that and um, gave us some stuff to talk about. So it was pretty cool. Thanks, everybody. Now, wait, wait, wait here, because all of a sudden John's Hugh Downs, Will is Larry King. Who am I going to get stuck being here, Eric? <laughs> I thought I thought, I thought, John looks more like, or uh, Derek looks more like Larry King than me. Come on now. I, I can see it. I see it. I just heard a really cool interview with Larry King, obviously from a few years ago, and how to save an interview that started out wrong. Oh, oh it was are, a Mark Marin. talking about his Mark oh, Marin when he you... interviewed uh, Larry King. Not, ah. Dave to Spain. There you go. Dave to Spain. Ah. That's a good one. All right. That's there we a go. good one. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah Larry King. Did you ever see the Larry King with Jerry Seinfeld interview? Speaking of a car guy, Jerry Jerry Seinfeld, boy Larry King, who he uh, he po'd uh, Jerry Seinfeld. If you go back and watch the clip; it's uh, it's interesting. I think that was discussed in the uh, when they were talking. I don't know. It was talking about interviews. Uh, well, we're getting way off topic. At least you brought it to Jerry Seinfeld, and uh, he's a car guy. We didn't talk anything about the Monterey auctions and everything. So great. Yay. We kept it out of that. And we cars sold. Cars didn't sell Monterey auctions. Yeah. Everybody said it was a lot of money and a lot of cars, but $300 million and a hundred million of it was five cars. So, you know, <laughs> really they only sold 200 million worth of cars in my opinion, but another day, another a, I think I'm going to get out of here. I do think, like Will said, I thank everybody for commenting. It really keeps the show more interesting. Uh, we're really going to try 8.30s every Wednesday, 8.30 every Wednesday, uh, YouTube, Facebook. And if you can't catch it there, the uh, um, audio podcast comes out on Saturday or Sunday. So it'll be in your podcast podcast catcher on Monday mornings. But that's it for me tonight, guys. Adios. See ya.